DMB On Demand is a love letter written to the music of the Dave Matthews Band and the eclectic family that passionately supports them. Hello, and welcome to DMB On Demand, where we explore the music of DMB and the family therein. Take a seat, get comfortable, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Hey everybody, just a few notes to touch on before we get into today's segments uh, for the episode. First, I want to give an overview of this episode. Uh, Our guest for the interview is Tracy H. You can find her information and links in the show notes page. Our history, uh, as always, is brought to you by Perry Ritter. I wanted to give a special thanks to Perry for coming on and and doing the history segment i've gotten strong positive feedback from listeners that and i agree with them that your your style of presentation is kind of unique it it's it's almost a little bit like jazz but you want to hear the next line and what you're saying so it's just it's a it's a interesting style and i think it complements the podcast well so Thank you so much, Harry. The Way I Heard It segment this week is by Leia or DMB Mamas. You can find her information on the show notes page as well. She is going to break down the song Squirm for us after the interview. The music and stingers for this episode are, as always, by the amazing Jesse Stone. Make sure you check the show notes for his links and you go and shoot him a follow on Twitter to get your daily 60 seconds of DMB. He's an amazing guitarist. Once you followed him, go to his wall and you'll just see song after song after song and it's impeccable. I've heard so many DMB covers in my life, either full band or just people playing an instrument and it none of them holds a candle to Jesse. I'm just, I just, I promote him strong on Twitter and I mean everything I say about the guy. It's just amazing. And so the song that he's doing for us on his guitar this week is Oh. Pretty simple song. Nice little well, I, it's about his grandfather. It's about Dave's grandfather. But it's still a little bit of a love song. Uh, so in that that love and bond that a grandson and grandfather has oh, really comes to life. And the next time you listen to it, keep that in mind that it's about his grandfather and the song will take on a brand new meaning. Just so happens that my grandfather is, was, and still is the most important male figure in my life. Um, he was my father figure. He taught me how to live by my own moral compass and my own code and just instilled so much love and wisdom into my life and when he passed it was one of the hardest hardest times of my life but every time I listen to the song Oh I think of him warmly and remember him and uh, it's no longer bittersweet it's just sweet so 
I, I digress. That's the song for this episode, is O. Oh. Taping note real quick. So, most often we record our interviews way in advance of the air date. The reason I do that is because I like to have all of the components to the episodes at my fingertips so that if I want to produce four episodes in a day, I can do four and get them out of the way. Or if I just want to do one a week, the point is, is that I have all the uh, audio kind of stockpiled for it. So in our interviews, you may hear some references to dates or events that have come to pass a few weeks ago or sometimes even a month or two ago. Uh, please just ignore those. We record ahead of time, um, but I don't want to remove them because they're vital components to the interview. Uh, this is the second week on the new microphone. I finally splurged and got away from the cheap $50 USB mics and invested in a good setup. So you're going to be hearing well, what you're hearing right now is the new audio quality. Uh, but, like I said, we record the interviews ahead of time. So the interviews for at least the next six or seven episodes are still going to be the old quality uh, in my voice on the recordings. But in the segments that I record the day of, such as these notes and and information, I'll be using the new mic. So it's just a little preview of how much the sound quality is going to increase as we get to the later part of season four and onward. Um, In seasons one through three, we had some episodes that were quite long. When I say quite long, I mean like hour and a half, two hours plus. And that's just not what I want our episodes to be. I want the listeners to be able to put on an episode while they're in the shower getting ready for work or on the commute to and from work. Uh, Just uh, 45 minutes to an hour, something that's really digestible is the goal. So for season four and onward, we'll be taking some of our longer interviews and splitting them up into two or three parts. So if you jump into part two or part three of an interview, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episode uh, when that's relevant. If you'd like to come onto the podcast or if you would like to become a regular contributor for the way I heard it segments, or if you have any other ideas that you would like to chip in with, just reach out. Uh, We're open to bringing on new people to interviewing new perspectives. The best way to go about that is to go to dmbondemand.com and in the bottom right corner you'll see a button that says create with us. Just click on that button and then choose any or all of the areas that you would like to contribute to and I'll reach out with some surveys or questionnaires for you to fill out that kind of gives us a good idea of where you would fit inside of everything. I do have a favor to ask, and that's wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever the case may be, please take just like 15 seconds and leave us a rating and review. We're finally getting this podcast after four seasons. We're finally getting it 
where I wanted it to be. And so now is the time uh, for growth. We've worked out all the kinks. We found our rhythm. Uh, now we just want to share the podcast with as much of the DMB family as possible. And your rating and review goes a long way in helping us get exposure and growth. So if you could, please leave us a rating and review. It, it helps tremendously. Regarding the Etsy shop. So we now have almost a thousand DMB items in our Etsy store. Our latest batch had designs for Dave and Tim's Cancun show. Uh, we put our designs on shirts, hoodies, stickers, flags, tank tops, that sort of thing. Uh, and I was overwhelmed. I was not expecting it, but uh, just from stickers alone, we sold 532 stickers for these Cancun designs. Uh, we had three or four people buy them in bulk, like 100 plus, just to pass them out at the concert. It was, it was wild. Uh, so thank you to everybody that's supported that branch of DMB On Demand as well. Up next in our designs, uh, we're going to be starting to build a few that are in the theme of the 2022 summer tour. I have a couple ideas on how I want to do that visually. And right now I'm just kind of brainstorming and sketching out some options. Some of the designs for the 2022 tour will feature the names or coordinates to major DMB venues. Uh, so the one that first came up to mind was the parental advisory sticker, the straight out of Compton kind of style sticker. Uh, but instead of straight out of Compton, it'll be straight out of Spec or straight out of Deer Creek, straight out of Gorge. That's just one easy idea for designs. We'll be having other more visually rich designs for the tour coming as well. Uh, if you are on our Etsy and you're looking at the 2022 tour and you don't see your venue represented, just reach out to me. You can reach out to me on social media, DMB on demand. You can email me at DMB on demand at iCloud.com, whatever you want to do. And if you want your venue represented, I can easily add those you know, coordinates or the text to a design and upload it for you on whatever you want. Also a note, please remember that we do custom designs. Lately I've had a couple requests per week and when it's something easy, like if you just want a fire dancer added or you want some text added to a design, uh, we do that no charge. We just we like to create custom stuff for the DMB family. The other option for creation is if there's a song you want represented visually in our shop, what we do is we take that song, we take your favorite lyrics, we take your favorite colors, we take your font favorite uh, picks, and we start to build a new design from scratch based upon what you're seeing in your head. Now for those we do charge, it's not that much. Um, for the, the custom designs from the ground up. So we do design on request. Also, 
If you see a design in our shop on a sticker, shirt, hoodie, flag, whatever the case may be, please know that there are about 200 other options that we can apply our designs to. I just only have so much time, so I can't take a design and apply it to 200 things, especially when I have like 500 designs. It would be a nightmare. But uh, if you want to see it on something else, if you like a design, a sticker, but you want it on a mug or a backpack or slippers or uh, a sweater, or hoodie, whatever the case may be, nine times out of 10, we can make that happen. Uh, for free and just build the new listing per your request. Lastly, I've been getting some feedback over the past couple months that we have a lot going on with DMB on demand and sometimes it's hard to kind of keep up with all the facets, whether it's the website, the media, the posters, the pictures, the podcast, the store, on and on, social media. There's just a lot going on. So if you go to the episode notes, at the bottom, underneath our website, you'll see a link that says All DMB On Demand Projects. It's a Linktree account. The website is linktr dot ee slash DMB On Demand. Click on that or plug that in, and you'll have a nice, very easy, very clean menu to choose from to go and visit all the facets that we have going on in the brand. Kind of a collect all of links for our projects. As always, we are always open to suggestions, whether it be for the podcast, for the store, uh, the social media campaigns, the website. So if you have any suggestions, requests, comments, feedback, whatever the case may be, Check out the show notes for our social media. Reach out and give us a shout. Uh, We're always very receptive to new ideas. I think that will do it for the notes. Sorry, it went a little bit long. I went off on a tangent there at the beginning. But we have a good interview. We have uh, history. The music that you've already heard. And... uh, great breakdown of the song Squirm for you today. So sit back and relax. Lay your troubles down. On with the show. Before we get to the interview, we'll take a moment to discuss some DMB history and news. We will have links to all information presented in the notes section of the episode on dmbondemand.com. Welcome back to history class, everybody. I'm going to be your professor for the week. Well, actually, for the rest of the the season. My name name is Perry, but the good thing about this history class is that there is no textbook required. So if you purchase something, then you must have misread the syllabus. So sorry about that. But, uh, you know, good, good readers make good learners. So hopefully you're... Listening skills are better than your reading skills. We're going to jump right into picking back up with the DMB history. And at the moment, we are stepping into the year 1996. Uh, And in January of this year, we actually saw the Dave Matthews Band receive their first Grammy nominations for What Would You Say uh, in the Best Rock Vocal Music Performance category uh, by a duo or group in the Best Music Video uh, short form. 
Crash, Dave's uh, second RCA studio album, was also released on April 30th of this year, and it debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 and was subsequently certified seven times platinum. Entertainment Weekly praised the Grammy-nominated album as rootsy yet exotic, and Too Much was a top-five hit in modern rock radio, the first in a series of singles from the album. So the Crash Tour uh, launched shortly thereafter, uh, on, the, on the same day, actually, April 30th, uh, at Classic Amphitheater in Henrico, Virginia, and that actually went on to be a live tracks show, uh, which is actually just a fantastic show in general. If you've not heard it before, uh, go check that out. The band introduced a new sound system, which helped make uh, their, their live show on just a completely, completely different level. Uh, and it also began uh, the opportunity for them to capture multi-track recordings of the show. And if I remember correctly, uh, this uh, this sound system actually was adopted from and uh, passed on to them from the Grateful Dead which is quite cool. Uh, and while they were on the European leg of their tour, DMB opened for Bob Dylan and Neil Young, and the group headlined Madison Square Garden for the first time, playing a pair of shows in October. Moving on to 97 in February, uh, DMB won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a duo or group for So Much to Say. And RCA reissued Remember Two Things on June 24th of 97. The band continued to tour steadily, headlining sold-out amphitheaters across North America. Though, uh, having achieved national prominence, the Dave Matthews Band continued to do things precisely as they had from day one, organically with a grassroots mentality. And in late 97, the band... Uh, I'm just going to do that over again, Drew. And in late 97, the band began recording a new album on October 28th. 97, Bama Rag slash RCA label released the official double disc Live at Red Rocks from 8 15 95. Uh, and without any marketing or promotion, Live at Red Rocks actually debuted at number three on the Billboard 200 and was instantly certified platinum. It was a high quality, reasonably priced alternative to the overpriced, ill produced, and illegal live DMB CDs that were beginning to flood the bootleg black market. And the overwhelming success of Live at Red Rocks, combined with the band's uh, really just huge touring achievements at that time, underscored how DMB had grown from just a grassroots phenomenon to one of the hottest bands in America at the time. Moving on to 98, RCA released Dave Matthews Band's third studio album before these crowded streets, uh, one of my personal favorite albums of all time. I think that's uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty standard for a lot of DMB fans. Uh, and it was released on April 28th of 98. Uh, and the critically acclaimed recording was the band's first album to debut squarely at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, and it actually ended the Titanic soundtrack, Stranglehold, on the top spot. It was produced by Steve... Uh, it was produced by Steve Lillywhite before these crowded street... Okay, let me do that again, Drew, sorry. Uh, being produced by Steve Lillywhite before these crowded... Tack on it, sorry, man. Uh, being produced by Steve Lillywhite before these crowded streets featured uh, guest artists such as Bela Fleck, the Kronos Quartet, and Alanis Morissette. Rolling Stone praised the band for pushing in adventurous new directions, noting uh, if they, they play as if their lives and yours depended on it. Don't Drink the Water, Crush, and Stay, Wasting Time, were among the hit singles, uh, which is now certified triple platinum. The band was on the road from mid-April through December, touring North America, Europe, where the Day Matthews Band opened for the Rolling Stones on numerous dates, uh, in addition to playing a mixture of headline shows and festivals. 
and they also made some stops in Brazil. That does it for this week's history on DMB On Demand. I'll see you guys next week where we're going to pick up in January of 1999. Each week, we have an intimate conversation with a member of the DMB family. We explore how the music of Dave Matthews Band and the deep bonds within the DMB family have shaped their life. We come to realize that while each story is unique and the family as a whole is diverse, we are sewn together by one common thread. The members of Dave Matthews Band and the people who make up the DMB family are simply people who love. We hope you enjoy this week's interview. As you know, for season four, um, instead of reaching out to people in our groups on Facebook and Twitter, we're bringing on two specific types of guests. Um, the first is we're bringing back prior guests uh, to interview them in a little bit of a different format so that way we can get caught up on their story and see how they're doing now. And the other group is coming from people who have reached out to us. Um, we didn't have that in season one and two. I think we were still kind of figuring out where we fit in and getting our traction. Um, but for season four or off season from season three, we have gotten a, a lot of applicants send in um, their form to come onto the podcast on their own. And so that's the other type of guest we're having on. And that's Tracy. She reached out to us um, and had some interest in coming on the podcast. And with my interactions with her, uh, I find her to be uh, amazingly kind and sharp and, and clear. So I think it's going to make for a really great episode. So, Tracy, uh, let's start off with an easy one. Out of all the bands in the world, why DMB? <laughs> Is that an easy question? <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, I would say they move me in such a way that I must listen to them every single day. They just, um, they just sort of soothe my soul and they uplift me. They're just, they just answer um, everyday emotions and feelings, whether I'm biking or riding or um, running or doing my work. So I can't imagine the world without them. I don't know if that's a good enough answer, but um, yeah, they're just uh, really special. Yeah, no, I completely relate it. Uh, just personally for me, the music simplifies a really, really important message. And it's not just love, it's love and do something with it. Um, this is too powerful not to, to give that gift to people. So uh, in my mind, it's not uh, the band when they sing overall, is not just about love. It's about what you do with that love uh, that that truly matters. Um, well, before we go deeper down the DMB rabbit trail, and, and believe me, we will, um, I would like to just take a couple minutes to get caught up on you in general. So Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do, your hobbies, your passions, um, your family, anything you'd like to share. Okay, great. 
Well, I'm based in Syracuse, New York, just because I know you have listeners every place. And I really started out when I was seven years old, uh, producing my very first fundraising event in my garage for the Muscular Dystrophy (laughs) Association. And I've been event planning ever since, even to the point of my freshman year in college, um, coordinating from scratch an air band concert. I don't know, maybe your older listeners maybe know what an air band concert is. I don't know if it's popular nowadays or not. Um, but I really took, you know, my love for event planning and fundraising and marketing and sort of put it all together and raised, you know, back then it was 1982, about a thousand dollars for a Catholic ministry on campus. Uh, it led me to opening my first event, uh, planning company in 1995. Um, it's called Five Star Events where I could plan events and get paid for it by, um, other individuals and always loved interacting with the musicians that were part of, um, you know, the black tie fundraising events that we did. And then eventually I turned that love um, of event planning into having a little bit more of uh, a mission in life, something a little bit more activism wise. And I created my second company called Women Ties, which is basically a promotion and marketing company for women entrepreneurs all over New York State. Um, in fact, one of my clients and somebody that I met um, has a non-for-profit organization called Marines Hope Foundation, and they created a, um, a program um, called the You and Me Bear Program, which connects directly into the song that DMB has, and Stefan is the one that helped to fund that. Uh, through their red light management or through their Obama Works, I think, foundation. So um, that's a little of my, um, I'm a blogger, uh, I run, I bike every single day. And I literally say that every day in my life, I have Dave Matthews Band on in my ears, on my ride to where I'm going to go biking or not. Um, as I'm listening to, um, or as I'm working and writing and blogging, I have them on as well. Um, I became a, a runner and um, partook in the Boston Marathon in 2017. And I only say that because the Dave Matthews Band was the music that was in my ears through that 26.2 miles. So um, that's a, a little bit about me. I believe strongly in the buying and selling power of women and um, promote women and suggest that women support women in business, sports, equality, and life. And the only male vendors that I buy for from the Dave Matthews band. So there you go. So what is it like for you in your, your, uh, sounds like you have a lot of projects going in your company. I doubt there's, there's much, uh, free time, but when you do have it, what's your, what's your life look like outside of work? Well, my life outside of work, uh, I came from two parents that were gym teachers. And so sports has been a really big part of my life. And I just before actually we got on to talk today, Andrew, I went out biking as I typically do between nine and 15 miles each day here in Syracuse, New York. And last year I actually biked every month except for February. So don't believe that Syracuse has so much snow that you can't get out there. Um, (laughs) And I never, yeah, I never go without my ear pods with my Dave Matthews band music on. It's so true. I mean, that's what I do. So if I'm not biking or running, 
Um, I have two sons that are 29 and 26, so I travel down to New York City um, and tour the city with them and hang out at their apartments <laughs> and uh, do some shopping as well. So my life is pretty much women entrepreneurs, um, my sons, Viking, and the Dave Matthews Band. So let's get into uh, the DMB rabbit trail. And some of these questions, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a paradox because the shorter and simpler the question, the harder it seems to be to answer it. Um, but we're going to give it a shot. So let's start with origins. Um, you know, there's, there's people who have heard DMB, and then there's people who actually listen and follow them. And then there's the DMB family. Um, kind of different tiers of fans as you progress. What song was it that initially made you a fan? Not just listening to it, but actually starting to follow them a little bit and get into the music a little bit deeper. What one song first turned you on to them? I would say Tripping Billies, and that's because I first saw them perform at Woodstock 99 in my hometown of Rome, New York. Syracuse is about an hour outside of Rome on the Air Force Base that as a child, I could never go on because my parents were not in the military, even though I had friends that were there. And my sister, who was younger than I by 15 years um, and who was 18 at the time, was able, probably because she was younger than I was, to drive across country in a van with her boyfriend. And she saw DMB play out in San Francisco. And she came back and she told me about this band. And I had never heard of them before. But when I heard that they were performing at Woodstock in Rome, I decided I had to go and I had to hear this band. And we actually showed up just to, you know, to really just hear them. And it was, it was super hot. If any of your fans know um, or have seen any of the videos from Woodstock, it was hotter than hell that day. But when they played um, Trippin' Billies, it was a song, I would say that and All Along the Watchtower, because to me, it just seemed like Woodstock 69 would have been All Along the Watchtower. But Trippin' Billies was just a song that I heard them sing that absolutely just made me move and I listened to and then became a runner to actually after I saw them at Woodstock. It's really crazy you mentioned that. I just uploaded um, the audio version of Woodstock 99 literally yesterday uh, <laughs> to my collection. Do you have, do you have the audio from it? I ha we have a, we have a copy of the uh, video. There is a video out there of it. Yeah. Um, I listened to so many, I, I never know what, I'm sure maybe other people are like this, what mood I'm going to be in. So um, when I, that day, you know, when I turn on my music to listen to it, I never know what song I'm going to play, but mm. I remember uh, almost to, you know, the moment when they play Tripping Billies and also all along the Watchtower. It is, it, it was phenomenal. It was the most phenomenal event like one of my top 10 favorites um, that I've been to, that I've had in my lifetime, really. It was a crazy atmosphere and I, we didn't even know if we could get into Woodstock to begin with. We didn't have the, the bands that you had to pay in advance. My cousins are doctors and they were able to get us some, uh, 
some bands that didn't cost quite as much as the people that were staying there for the three full days. And I remember one of the, my funny stories of being there is I was 35 at the time. And so I don't look like I'm under 21. And they wouldn't let me into the section of Woodstock where they had beer. And because I didn't have my ID with me. And I said, come on, look at me. I do not look like I'm under 20 years old. <laughs> and somebody pulled me into it. And that was that. But um, yeah, it was an awesome experience. I'd love to know how many of uh, your listeners went to Woodstock 99. That's what I... Um... Later today, when we're done recording and everything, I'll I'll email you over a link to grab the audio from Woodstock '99. So if you want to listen to it without the video, you'll you'll have that. And "Tripping Billies" is actually one of my wife's favorite DMB songs. And uh, like you, she said it just makes her want to move. It just gives you energy. And um, so we listened to, to "Tripping Billies." quite a bit because of it. Um, so I would ask on previous interviews what their all-time favorite was, but I, I found that that is an impossible question to answer. Um, it just fluctuates with time and events. So we're going to talk about what you're into now. Uh, what what song are you digging into uh, currently? Oh, gosh. That is, I think that's as hard of a question because um, we all have favorite songs that are on repeat. Um, I really think the one that stands out to me that I play the most often is uh, You Might Die Trying. And it's because it reminds me of if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it reminds me of training and running in the Boston Marathon in 2017. And especially if you listen to the very beginning where it talks about just, you know, it takes one step. And part of it goes on to say, it's when you give, you live. And in order for me to be able to run in the Boston Marathon, I was not a marathoner. I didn't have the time to qualify for the Boston Marathon. But because I raised $8,000 for an organization called 261fearless.org, I got a charity bid. And that song reminds me every single time I hear it of, of how hard I trained to get into the Boston Marathon and how um, I had only trained up to 13.1 miles out of the um, – uh, the full distance. I'd only run half of the 26.2 because I got bronchitis. So that day when I showed up, I really had no clue if I would die on the streets of Boston trying to run a full marathon, having not ever run a marathon or the miles. So that song I play every day, usually when I'm biking or running to remind me that I can try and do anything. So it just remains a favorite. It's like a constant that I, I have to begin um, begin with. It probably does not answer your question, does it? Oh, no, it answers it quite well, actually. Um, uncanny that you mentioned the, the first song, Tripping Billies, and how I just, and Woodstock and how I uploaded it. 
And now, speaking of you, my dad trying, and literally yesterday I made a, a design <laughs> for the Etsy shop, and it's a you might try, you might die trying design. And it, and you remember in Mario when you would jump over the pipes, there'd be these like plant like creatures that would pop up and try to bite you. Yes, um, it's a it's an it's a graphic or an illustration of one of those things with you might die trying underneath it. It's, it's pretty clever. It's one of my favorite ones so far. Uh, all right. So uh, lyrics and this time uh, we can go into all time favorites uh, of all the lyrics that Dave Matthews band have put out there. Um, which one has most impacted your life or kind of shapes how you think of things? What's been the highest impact lyric uh, to you and why is it so impactful? Right. Well, I, I really love the song every day and I, lo I loved it using the word love. Um, I loved it before it became more popular on their current concert tour. You know, you, I would love, I would wish and wait to hear every day and it wasn't played that often and then i think with um you know over time it has become one maybe it was because boy left and they had um buddy to to be able to do you know because he does so much with his piano and his organ when he gets to it but what was funny about it is when i used to first hear it i thought it said um lift me up lord instead of lift me up love and I'm a fairly religious person. I, um, and so the word lift me up, Lord, every time I would be biking or running and I had issues, you know, that I was trying to figure out, I would listen to that and I would just feel uplifted. And then to come to find out there was one day when I was really listening, I guess, very more intently than I typically do to the song and heard it say, lift me up, love. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's it. And I have a hat that says love on it that I wear when I'm biking or when I'm out and about. And to me, the Dave Matthew Band uh, really reflects love. And um, that song, all the words of it, I truly love. So I would say if you could take all the lyrics of that song, um, those are my favorites. Very nice. Um, how many shows have you been to? I knew you were going to ask that question. I, you know, sometimes I, I would say probably 30. You got to understand that I'm 57. So, <laughs> and when I became a fan of Dave Matthews, even though he's only a couple of years older than I am, uh, we were raising kids. And um, so we didn't have as much disposable income to be able to go to as many shows as I know some of your fans have. Um, I thought 30 was a lot, but I, I'm not sure that that's even close to the average. Yeah, I would say the majority of the people that I've asked, it's, it's uh, double digits for sure. I'm kind of the odd man out there. I, uh, I've only been to five shows. I've been to... Wow. Yeah, uh, I just, you know... Frankly, for a lot of my life, I lived with undiagnosed mental illness. Um, I'm bipolar type 2, and I uh, deal, dealt with a lot of anxiety. I mean, thank God, after finally seeking out the help I needed, it's, I'm all good. But, um, yeah, I just... 
I sort of lost my train of thought there. No, no <laughs> you were just saying how many concerts you'd been to, and I was oh, yeah, surprised yeah, yeah. just because yeah, yeah, yeah. you obviously, obviously have such a passion that you're doing a podcast. Right. So, you would yeah, I live vicariously. I live yeah. vicariously <laughs> through the movie or through the videos and music. Uh, but the reason I haven't been to shows is because the thought of a large crowd sort of overwhelmed me, and I didn't think I'd be comfortable. And that was finally my wife in 2019 surprised me for my birthday with three tickets to the gorge where we travel uh, she's a traveling rn and so every three to six months we go to a different place and where we want to go and spend some time and um and and so we were up in washington for the gorge and she surprised me with three tickets and no matter how much I wanted to wiggle out of that, I couldn't pass it up. And so I finally went to my first show. And not only on the first night of my first show was I gifted with something I thought I'd never hear, which is when Warren Haynes came out and he played mm. Cortez the Killer. And yes. oh, I just, <laughs> I thought I would be looking for that song for years to get that on night one of my first show. Just unreal at the gorge. Uh, but anyway, when I went to my first show, I realized that, yes, there are a, a whole bunch of people here, but there's this like kinetic energy that's going on. And it's, it's between the band and the people. It's between the people and other people. There's just this energy happening that overrides anything else, uh, at least for me. Had I known about that energy, I would have probably been to 30, 40 shows by now. But, uh, right. Well, uh, I've seen three, that people have gone to, you know, as many as 200 and, you know, 300 shows. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I, yeah. used, I used to, when I was presenting about um, what it was like to become an entrepreneur, I was advising uh, people that were like 40, 40 years old and younger and why. And I said, you know, if you want to start a business, you can't start a business because you you love something. There has got to be a market for it. And I remember using the Dave Matthews Band um, as an example. And I remember saying, you know, if it didn't matter whether or not there was, a, um, you know, money mattered or my budget mattered, yeah, sure, I'd be going selling, you know, um, bumper stickers for the Dave Matthews Band everywhere, just listening to his music. But instead, I need to make a little bit more money than that. And, and, and my passion is also event planning and marketing, so I'm going to be doing this. So I used to use Dave Matthews Band even in some of my speeches. So out of all the shows you've been to, uh, what was your favorite concert memory? Okay. I It, it takes me right there. My so I two sons are 29 and 26. And when my youngest son went to school at Boston College, um, he was turning 20, 21 at midnight, uh, December 9th, going into December 10th. And it was the first time we got pit tickets. And was, they were playing at the Boston Garden. And my husband and son and my younger son and I went. It was the first time we ever had the pit tickets. And we stood there and... We were so close to stage. It was amazing. And I think it was the thrill of just being there with both of my boys. You know, when you become a mother, you, you, you don't know if you're going to be a good parent, if you're not going to be a good parent. But somehow bringing my sons at that age to the pit um, at the Boston Garden felt absolutely right. 
And uh, funny enough, we actually have four tickets for Madison Square Gardens coming up uh, next, next weekend. Um, and so that memory stands out the most because I was with my sons and my husband and we just, we had never been in the pit and it was just unbelievable. Nice. Um, so my music collection um, is, you know, all the live tracks, all the DMB live series and all that good stuff and bonus dick and discs and demo tapes and the whole nine. But um, I pride myself on having arguably the best live show collection out there today. Uh, so if you ever want to, uh, the audio from the shows that you've either been to or that's coming up, uh, just let me know and I'd be happy to shoot you an email with the, the links to them so you can have the, the audio to relive it um, whenever you want. Yeah, that, that is awesome. When he was a freshman, I was thinking, do I remember any of the songs from the pit performance? And it made me think of, I took him as a freshman um, to see Dave too. They performed in Boston and Thomas was a freshman in school. And we had tickets that were way up, like in the third, you know, nosebleed section, way up in the, way up in the arena. And so we sat down and the very first song that came on was Swarm. And all of a sudden, as the lights went down, there was like a row of um, beautiful redheaded people ahead of us, truly Irish Boston people. And this wave of marijuana uh, smoke came over and enveloped us all. <laughs> I said to my son, well, you can tell your father that, um, you know, you first got high at a day concert in Boston. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so... I, that song itself, when I hear it, also puts me puts me uh, in a very specific place. So I think it's safe to say that the people who listen to this podcast are part of the DMB family. You, like I mentioned earlier, you go through these stages when you first hear them, and it's like, okay, pretty interesting. And then when you start following the music and really digging into it. Um, and then the next step after that is to realize that there's a whole community out there that has been impacted by the music very similar to how you were. And that's the point of this podcast is to explore that connected energy. Going back to the my first show at the Gorge, when I saw this sea of people all entranced, I thought something led them here. That music had to hit them in a similar fashion than it hit me. And it drew me in and drew the rest of them in. I want to know their story. And so uh, that's why we're doing the podcast is to sort of explore that energy um, between the people. And uh, But I digress. If they're listening to this podcast, they're, they're probably part of the DMV family. What I'd like you to do is tell us about what happened when you first became aware of the DMB family, um, this, this culture of people underneath the layer of music, that's just rabid fans that love the music and they take that love and they do something with it. Um, and I've found the DMB family to be amazingly generous. Uh, when we've had people on, in our circles that, got ill or had a loss there was there wasn't even a need to ask for money it was it was just given and uh, i've seen people get gifted tick tickets to the gorge um air flight like the whole nine it's, it's amazing and 
then you see these people at the concert and it's like one big family. So what happened to you um, when you first experienced the DMB family and what has that come to mean uh, since you've been a part of it? Well, my first, after seeing DMB in, at uh, Woodstock, my cousin Jeff uh, and his wife were DMB fans, which I had not realized until we got talking. We live in a different city. Him, uh, him and I um, are the same age, and his family had uh, memberships to SPAC, which is Saratoga Performing Center of the Arts, which is one of the most amazing venues to see any concert in. And we went specifically to SPAC to watch the Dave Matthews Band play. And they were my first introduction into the family of DMB because they had known them and they were aware of them a little bit before me. And so we went consecutive years to SPAC to be able to see them. And then over time, as I became a little bit more um, addicted to the DMB's band and posted about it online. Um, you know, there were people that would reach out to me that knew me here in Syracuse and would say, oh my gosh, are you going to the concert? Do you want to meet up at the concert? And so it was really through my sharing on social media that I found people here in Syracuse um, and central New York in general that um, really became... Kate, we met them at our tailgate parties and we just became, you know, you just become buddies. There's, there's something, it's almost like, like you say family. Um, I'm the oldest of, of many kids. <laughs> and so I understand what that, that feeling is like. Um, and so not only meeting the other people in Syracuse that um, are fans of Dave Matthews, my husband and I at times would go to SPAC to listen to Dave Matthews, and we'd be by ourselves. And, and sure enough, the people that we met on either side of us, you know, who were playing, you know, games or, you know, needed a drink or something would, would open their doors and talk to us and we could talk familiarities and find alumni from our colleges there. So there's just an openness. I think when you love something and you're joyful, and you're at an event, and um, it's very easy to find people um, that kind of just fit into your own groove. And so I think a little bit because of my age being 57, maybe I don't have as many connections to family members or to the DMD family as much as maybe your younger viewers, but we look for new fans and friends at every tailgate that we go to to encompass into our lives. So if you were getting ready to sit somebody down, a friend, and have them listen to DMB for the first time, what would you tell them before they clicked play on that song? Oh, I would tell them get ready to be amazed by the instrumental part of the music that is so collaborative and so unique. And also the fact that the lead singer, Dave Matthews, I swear is never off key. <laughs> and ad-libs a lot uh, if you're listening to any of his live music. It's fun. It's not like, um, it's, it's not 
normal music. I don't know if that makes any sense to people, but there's such a strong instrumental part and from everywhere, from the saxophone to the drums, to the piano, to the different guitars, that you will not be able to not be addicted to listening to them again once you hear them one time. And what song would you give them uh, to first listen to? Oh my gosh, I would say Granny. I think it's because, Granny are 41, but I like Granny because my husband and two sons both love that song as well. And they're similar but different to me. So I think uh, that that has such a, um, oh gosh, he has so many upbeat songs. So I'm trying to think of the right words to say, but it's just, it's a contagious song. I hear it once and then I go, okay, yeah, let's replay that one again. Oh, let's replay it again. So I know when I've listened to it like four or five times before I move on to another song, that it's got something that, really moves me and makes me happy. So I grew up uh, Catholic and because of that influence at such a young age, I tend to sort of look for the spirituality in anything that I'm listening to or watching. Um, with DMB, it's not hard to to really hone in on that that concept of spirituality inside the music. For example, uh, one of my favorite, favorite uh, people that were around Christ when he was alive was John the Baptist. I, uh, that man was out in the wilderness preaching, and it was rough and difficult, but he grinded through. And then, you know, the day he came walking down by the Jordan, and then Christ showed up. And he realized what he was about to do and felt pretty freaked out about it, uh, but did it anyway. And because of that, Christ's ministry started. Uh, he's just always been one of my favorite figures. And so when I first heard The Maker, oh, I was blown away. It was from the perspective of John the Baptist getting ready to baptize Christ. And... Uh, looking at the people in the scene at that time and and him struggling with, you know, I'm not a stranger in the eyes of the maker. Uh, it was just, it blew me away. And then there's also other songs too. Bartender's a, a very clean, um, easy to grasp the spirituality in it. Uh, and it's not always, it's not always good. Uh, let's go jump to Deed is Done. Here's Deed is Done. And this friend, his his friend, I can't remember if it was his friend or his family member, but somebody is dying from cancer. And he is starting to question God. I mean, do you see this? What's going on? Would you change this if you did see it? What's going on up there? Um, so there's, and I could go on and on about where I find spirituality inside the music of DMB. But for my last like three or four interviews uh, in season three, it's been brought up organically. And it was brought up organically on the previous episode from this one, um, touched on the spirituality. So I'm going to keep diving into that topic um, as much as I can. So if you could, and, and don't share anything you're not comfortable with, but... Mm -hmm. It, it maybe break down the core component of your spiritual journey and 
if you have any DMB songs that have spoken to that? That's a really great, great question. Um, I had something that occurred that happened to me, gosh, three years ago now. You know, I've been a public speaker. I wrote in our newspaper for 11 years as a columnist. I'm pretty well known in and around the area. Recognizable if I go out, people know who I am. I've been on TV commercials, etc. So when I lost all of my hair to alopecia, so I'm right now currently a bald woman, um, it was not life-threatening, but it was life-altering. I had lost my identity, even to the part of even thinking about what am I going to do going to a Dave Matthews Band concert? Do I wear a wig? Do I wear a hat? Should I not go anymore? Will somebody write on my head? I, I didn't know how to adjust to life. And as I was trying to process um, this major life-altering situation, the only thing that I could do was um, bike. And the only music I could listen to was Dave Matthews and Dave Matthews Band. And there were so many songs at different parts of my, and I call it spiritual because when you lose your identity, whether you're a, a veteran that comes out of war, whether you're somebody that's born with, you know, maybe one arm, whether you're in a horrible accident and something marks you up, um, you have to be able to go through an acceptance part of in your life. And for me, the only way I could do that was listening to Dave. It was like the soothing balm that I needed. And it was part of my spirituality and part of what my spirit needed to just be okay. And so the song, again, the song every day that I talked about um, before and I thought that it said lift me up Lord instead of lift me up love is what I listened to over and over again hoping that somehow miraculously through the process of accepting becoming a bald woman um, I, I could somehow accept myself and continue with my company and continue with all the work that I've done all my life um, I also love um, Grave Digger and I think that kind of the depth of that song and kind of thinking about death related to the death of kind of my persona per, um, prior to having alopecia and losing all my hair. There's something about that song and really realizing, Tracy, you know, you're not in the grave. You're not going to the grave soon, even though it might feel like, you know, there's been a death in your life. Um, so a couple of those songs really touched me and helped me over the period of the past three years, get through this uh, this kind of incident that's still ongoing. So, uh, what I'd like you to do is uh, pick a specific moment in your life, and I know this is kind of tough, um, but for example, I could I could sit down and and tell you um, that I was homeless and almost a victim of um, sexual assault and uh, hungry, no, no clothes, no family, no friends, no food, just on my own, no car, on my own with what I had to carry with me. Um, 
and I heard Stay or Leave. And to this day, I don't know why that song reached me, but it did. And when I listen to it now, I can't even find the correlation. So I don't know. Maybe it was in the actual instrumental part of the song, but it stirred something up in me to stop waiting for people to to help me and to pick myself up and earn my life back, and which is exactly what I did. And that song, for whatever reason, spoke to me during that time. So pick a moment in your life that might have been, you know, one of the tougher days. Tell us a little bit about it, and then let us know how uh, a song of DMB played into that. Sometimes their songs can be comforting. Sometimes their songs make us realize something new. There's always an effect. So maybe dissect that time in your life and the music that uh, was relevant. Oh, that is good. You have me thinking. First of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through such a, a difficult time in your life because stories like that remind me that what I'm dealing with sometimes just seems very superficial um, because I have, oh, you know, I've been married for 33 years. I have a wonderful house. I have a good career. You know, I have my health and always other than just losing my hair. So I just appreciate you sharing your story because in sharing it, it reminds us that, you know, there are people that are in more need than we are. Um, and again, that sort of speaks to what I had with the generosity of the Dave Matthews Band and Dave Matthews particularly with wanting to give back and to support others that don't have it. Um, I might have lost my train of thought on the song because I wanted to thank you for sharing for sharing, you, for sharing your story so that I think I got a little caught up in your story. Can you just, um, you're looking for a song again that reminded me? Yeah, just uh, uh, like I was sharing the my lowest point and how a song reached me, I was just asking for you to think back and look at a certain day, whatever it was uh, that was one of your toughest days, and tell us a little bit about that day and what song uh, was relevant to it that, that got to you during that time. I think then I would have to... <clears throat> go to the idea of you and it puts me it i keep saying spac so this is great advertising for spac if any of you haven't been there before um i brought my youngest son with me to that concert and it was called the idea of you and my youngest son um is has always been concerned about what he looks like and who he appears to other people and um here i was his mother um without any hair with my pink DMB hat on, <laughs> going to this concert. And and it was a rainy, kind of cold May day. In fact, if you look at any of the videos of Dave during that, that concert, he has a scarf on and he talks about how cold it was. It was end of May in Saratoga. And the idea of you came on. And the song wasn't yet on the their latest album, but they had played it in concert a couple of times. And at the end of the concert, my son and I both we both were talking about what song we liked. And for some reason, it happened to be that song together. And I think for me, I just wanted my husband and my sons to accept me 
is a bald woman. And I know that sounds like I've got a lot of vanity, um, but there's, um, in losing my external um, perceived value, I guess, um, I was concerned I was going to lose my boys and my husband. And so the idea of you puts me almost hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with my son. And the idea of you being that no matter who we look like on the outside, the true essence of the idea of you is really what's on our insides. It's not what we physically look like. It's really who we are and the good, caring people that we are. And so that, to me, is part of my spirituality as well, is how good of a person can I be every day in my world and in my life? And does it matter if I have hair or if I look different or not normal? It's really what's in my heart that counts. And so I, was, I, was, I realized that when my son went with me to that concert and he was okay being with me, even though nobody else probably even noticed what I look like, that that song reminds me that I can get through and the idea of me is, is the essence of who I am, my spirit, not my looks. All right, let's jump to the opposite end of the spectrum and tell me about one of the better days in your life. Um, for mine, it would be my wedding and a certain song that was played after it. Um, Pick a, a high point in your life. Uh, describe that day a little bit and then share what song uh, was either relevant at that time or gives you perspective on that good time looking back. Um, I am, I talked a little bit about um, in the previous episode about the Boston Marathon and training for the Boston Marathon and actually truly accomplishing a marathon is a life changing and life altering event. And so um, 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 Mike Die Trying was my song that I talked about for that. But right over my right shoulder is a beautiful um, copy of the original golden CD given to Jerry Brenner, who was the record promoter in Boston of the Dave Matthews Band album Under the Table and Dreaming. And uh, Jerry's passed away of cancer, but his daughter, Rachel, um, is a longtime girlfriend of my son, Adam. And Adam came home one day after Jerry had died. He'd been in Boston and he hand delivered me this framed beautiful poster size um, golden CD, the cover of Under the Table and Dreaming, and the plaque that was given to Jerry um, announcing the sales of 500,000 CDs. So we're going back in time a little bit. And honestly, the best of what's round is the song that reminds me of that, getting that, and how wonderful people are to be able to give something of such a value to somebody else just because they purely know the joy that that item will bring to that person. And it, that item sits next to my desk where I see it every single day. And so it was just a joyful uh, moment for me to really realize that the depths that somebody will do to, to make a fan of Dave Matthews Band very happy. So even though it wasn't the day I got married, which was before I became a Dave Matthews Band fan, it was 1989, this one moment was a very joyful moment for me. 
So there's no denying that it's sort of rough right now for a lot of people. Um, and in this time of year, it could be a myriad of reasons. It could be mental health issues. It could be COVID. It could be loss of jobs. It could be, I don't know how I'm going to provide Christmas for my kids this year. There's just so much at this time of year, specifically with the pandemic, that it's a very good chance that a few people that are listening to this podcast uh, sort of fit that mold. Um, so from fan to fan, can you give those who are struggling right now a, a song to listen to, to lift them up? And why are you picking that song? That is another great question, Andrew. I should have the I should have something come right off the tip of my tongue. Isn't it so hard that it's when you love so many songs that sometimes it's hard to just pick one <laughs> pick one yep, song? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um to pick them up that I haven't talked about already. Oh my gosh. Can I go back to every day or are you gonna say Tracy? You gotta pick another No, one. you can go back to every day. <laughs> Feel free. I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound like a, a broken record. Um, it's a little pun there, but every, I, again, go back and listen to the words of every day. Because if we can find a way, if we're struggling, to love the things that we do have in our lives, and we have a lot, it's really easy to look at what we don't have but we're truly blessed with many things. And so if you think of what you love, whatever that love of hobbies or career or job or uh, the love of the people you're trying to, you know, to get gifts for or, or to keep safe, or that song will remind you that if you're lifted up in love every day, um, it's gonna be a better day. And if you wanna go one step forward, and do something with your time and talents like Dave does to give back to society in some way, volunteering during the holidays. Maybe you can't, maybe you don't have enough money to give your family an item that they've wanted. How about taking them together to go down to a soup kitchen or um, to give all of their uh, maybe use clothes to a family whose house burned down. I mean, there's so many ways that we can find love and lift ourselves up by giving to other people. And Dave Matthews and the band itself really speaks to that truth. Look how generous they are. So in being generous, you're giving, but you're truly receiving. So if you could sit down with the band and uh, just had a few, few moments to interact with them, uh, Assuming they know your gratitude, so there's no need to go into depth with gratitude. I think that's kind of a given. So we'll assume they, we'll assume that they assume your gratitude. Um, and you had a couple of moments. What would you tell them, or what would you want to talk about? Oh, you know that that is like you know fantasy question or fantasy situation for so many of us here. I'm very uh very envious of the people that somehow happened upon Dave and the band to be able to, to share in, in right. Besides saying, thank you. Um, I don't know if they truly understand 
the ripple effect of their benefit, the benefits, uh, the generosity that they give to others. And it comes to mind because I was really lucky to win um, tickets to the Hurricane Sandy concert in New Jersey back in, I think it was 2002. And the band gave a million dollars to people that were affected, I think in New Jersey and New York by Hurricane Sandy. And then they were producing the concert and then anything that you bought from the concert was then going towards those victims. So I think what I would ask them all in general is, how did you become such generous people? So besides me saying, hey, thank you for being who you are, I would say, who and why are you motivated by generosity yourself? Who taught you that? Was it your family? Is that how you grew up? Is it always been the essence of who you are? How much more do you plan on giving away? Is there an end to what your generosity can do? And do you really feel the impact um, of what you do for so many people when you're giving a million dollars away and, and you're giving free concerts away? So I that I would try to find out more about where their generosity comes for in, from individually, each one of them. Okay. Um, so a few songs that, that relate to me uh, in a big way is uh, Raven, uh, number 27 for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Ihi are the three songs that to know those three songs, if you understood those three songs and what they're relating, then you have a pretty good idea of who I am. Uh, so I'd like you to do the same thing. Pick three song titles, um, any three you want that to know those song titles or those songs is to know you. How, how are you best represented in using only three song titles? Thank you. Yeah, to oh, I would say so damn lucky uh, because I f yes just feel like I've been very blessed in life. Um, I love the Christmas song, and I would say that's because of my faith. I love um, the message of that song. I wish that I heard it more often, and I would say. You, you might die trying because I've been a feminist and I've pushed the envelope on in many areas of being a feminist and I'm going to keep doing it because I believe in it until somebody puts me in jail or does something with me. So those would be my uh, three songs. Uh, to me, as we've already discussed um, in episode one, um, the music of the band, well, it can mean many things to many people, and it could be many things mean many things to one person. There's no limit there. But to me, the message of the music is love, period, and do something with it, period. Uh, it's, it's not enough just to have love. You, it's what you do with that love. And I guess that sort of speaks to the answer from your previous question. Um, and, and they seem to very much live the message that I hear in the music, that, that they love, but they do something with it. 
Um, it's a service to your brothers and sisters, to the people around you. In your opinion, what is the overall message of the complete catalog of DMB music? And how do you apply that message in your own life? When I, I know that Dave has had, especially in his, in the beginning of their music, you know, the beginning of the band, had a lot of major loss in terms of losing sister and father. Um, so I think when I hear some of his words, or some of the band's um, music, I think of loss, but then I think of renewal and then rejoicing. So we can go through hard times. We can come out of hard times and then we can rejoice more in the good times. And to me, their music kind of ranges um, that spectrum. Um, and, and you hear it in different songs. So when you said earlier, you know, what songs hit you, you know, there are different songs that hit you depending on if you're having a down day or an up day or if you need to be lifted up or if you need to just be down and, uh, and sad for a couple of days or a couple moments because you are. So I think, yeah, the, the you can have loss, then you can be renewed, and then you can rejoice. Old joy begins again. All right. Well, to wrap up the interview, what we like to do is to give the floor to our guests and let them talk about whatever it is that they think people should know about. So, it would be time to plug your social media, how to find you, any organizations, businesses, your own or otherwise, uh, charities, whatever you'd like people to know more about. Um, now's your time. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everybody, for listening, too. If we have any women entrepreneurs out there um, that are listening, we're also DMB fans, definitely uh, look me up um, at womenties.com. Um, and on social media, uh, absolutely, for sure. But what my mission and my message is, we're all activists in some way. And for me, pay inequality for women is, is the thing that my career really revolves around. I promote women in business and women entrepreneurs in order to promote them and market their name and brand their name so that other people will remember to buy from them, first and foremost. If we don't have a pay equality law, then there isn't a way for women to earn equal money to men. And so I would encourage you um, listening to support as many women-owned businesses as you can in your own local area. Remember back when the pandemic was happening, Dave talked about um, supporting small business in the Seattle area. And I remember hearing that one of them was a woman-owned business. And I remember being thrilled at that. And that really is my goal. So if you can, the next time you're buying something or need to purchase things for the holidays, that you consider finding um, female entrepreneurs to buy from, that would be fantastic. And to also support small businesses in your region, because so many have been hit by the pandemic. And so really entrepreneurship is my passion and keeping people that are self-employed um, still self-employed in that sense. Um, and also, um, so you can find me through womenties.com. If you're an entrepreneur or if you're a woman and you're looking for inspiration, I've written a blog for 
since 2008. It's at womenties.blog, W-M-E-N-T-I-E-S.blog. And you can go back. There's a few Dave Matthews Band posts in there as well when the, when the band has moved me or after a concert. So you might be able to just search for Dave Matthews Band as well. But, you know, find a passion that you absolutely love, whether it's running, whether it's business, whether it's whatever hobby is, and, you know, do it well and share that message with the world, but always be giving back. And if I love talking with people, I love um, communicating. So you can find me through all the social media um, markets that I'm on. And I'd be happy to meet you someday at a concert as well. Tell me if you're going to New York, because we'll be there. Absolutely. Um, and just as a follow-up note for listeners, if you go to your Apple podcast page for this episode or go to dmbondemand.com slash podcast to listen to the episode, go to the show notes, and in those show notes, we'll have links for you um, to some various videos and uh, the organization and, and company and outreach that Tracy has touched on. We'll have links to all that so you can easily access um, all the information. With that said, uh, I just wanted to take a second, uh, Tracy, to say thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You have not just an amazing story through the lens of DMB music, but you have the ability to it translates and it holds you captive. And um, I, I really appreciate that. And other than that, I think, uh, I think we're on good. Yeah. I would just like to say, Andrew, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a, a fun kind of day to do a podcast um, on something that I uh, love so much and you were a great host. So I certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. All right, folks, that does it for this week's episode. We will be back next week with another one. So until then, make the best of what's around. Welcome to the final segment for today, The Way I Heard It. We know there is such diversity within the DMB family or community. And for this reason alone, there will be differences in how we all interpret the music and the lyrics. Each week, we select a song and ask several fans to break down the song the way they heard it. Take a listen. Perhaps you would have heard the song in the same way, or perhaps you'll find a new appreciation of the song discussed. Enjoy! This is the way I heard it. My name is Leia, and today I will be talking about Squirm, one of my go-tos and all-time favorites. One of those songs I just love to close my eyes and, you know, joyride with. It is such a sexy and sensual song, serious yet playful and slightly suggestive. Yet within its scales feels something deeper, like a gathering for a secret, sacred suggestion. I love Squirm so much that it even brought a ball python named Lula into my life, and she too even perks up when she hears this song. Released on June 2, 2009, Squirm is the eighth track from the seventh studio album, Big Whiskey and the Grugrux King. It was the first and only track on the release featuring a solo from newcomer sax player Jeff Coffin. 
while other solos on Big Whiskey were played by the beloved Leroy Moore, the Grugrux King himself, before his untimely passing on August 19th, 2008. As described by Dave on Relix, in reference to Squirm, Carter had this drum groove that was pretty awesome, but originally did it over the top of this lilting melancholy song, and I was like, this drum groove is too good for this song. So I took that drum groove and wrote this new song over the top of it. That song is one of the most joyful songs on the record, if not the most joyful, just because I think it's sort of be yourself. It's a song about peace and about acknowledging those things we have in common. End quote. Personally, I chose Squirm partly because, as a belly dancer, I feel a gravitational pull to DMB songs with the haunting Middle Eastern sounds incorporated, such as the original opening to Minarets, which grabs my attention, my inner primitive, so to speak, as well as deep instinctive movement in my body. In particular, I am drawn to those songs which are somewhat slow and mentally mesmerizing, especially songs which work well with the American tribal-style medium family of movements, which seem to fall into some nebulous cosmic category, the space in between the fast and slow, like between gears on a manual transmission. And Squirm has all of this. This song has a heartbeat. Drum beats louder. Drum beats louder. Reels the listener in close with a hypnotic call and cry, as well as sudden explosive transition of mood and emotion, conjuring all sorts of images of near and distant worlds. It's no wonder, like a rattlesnake charmer, this song has the power to grab and captivate. Please find your place, though the room grows scarce. Once we're all inside, the service can begin. As the song unfolds here, Dave's voice is passionate, persuasive, pleading. Lyrics which conjure possible past-life images of an ancient ceremonial or spiritual gathering. When I hear this song and opening lyrics, I am transported to the blood-red-sanded, margin-like setting of Chimayo, New Mexico. There, 21 miles from Santa Fe, is a seemingly ancient church which still stands in full operation called El Santuario de, de Chimayo. Built in 1816, this national historic landmark, shrine where the blind have journeyed to see and the disabled to walk, is famous for its status as the most important Catholic pilgrimage site in the U.S. Discarded and dusty decades upon decades of old crutches adorn the cracked adobe walls inside this sacred edifice. In the tiny square left-back corner is a dirt-walled room with a two-foot diameter circular hole in the ground filled with this red-brown healing dirt and always a tiny shovel. The legend is this renowned red healing dirt has been known throughout the ages to not only heal, but miraculously replenish itself for those who wish to scoop a sampling of its potent healing powers. On the front wall, as one walks in, is a photo so rare, it looks like an actual rendition of the real Jesus hanging inside of the church. In Squirm, there is a feeling to me of some profound ancient wisdom being revealed, a visceral suggestion of adopting something novel, perhaps new or ancient information, or an alternate perspective. Perhaps it is a complex suggestion that we are not and have never been alone, pointing to some extraterrestrial life above, around, and among us. Or it might be something even more simple yet harder to digest, 
like the necessity of balance between the masculine and feminine principles within as well as outside of ourselves on our planet. Unity consciousness, oneness with God, non-polarity, and non-duality, which were some of the basic tenets of Christ consciousness. Apparently, this was part of what the biblical Jesus was attempting to teach all along, before his words were distorted into a frustratingly opposite message of savior worship within an imbalanced masculine and feminine paradigm, psyche, and planet. For a moment, if you please, forget what you believe, and naked you will see that we are all the same. To me, this verse suggests peace and the unifying of polarity, and also, as Dave describes, Squirm is, quote, one of the most joyful songs on the album, if not the most joyful, because I think it's sort of Be Yourself, and is a song about peace, and is about acknowledging those things we have in common, end quote. And I feel these lyrics succinctly reflect those sentiments. These lyrics remind me of the basic tenets of my favorite children's album, gifted from my dad at some point when I was under 10, entitled Free to Be You and Me. Created and performed by Marlo Thomas and Friends, Free to Be You and Me celebrates the earnest truth that we are all human no matter what creed, country, color, or church, and we all have the inherent freedom to celebrate the uniqueness of our bodies and, in in and individual selves while still honoring the common yet dynamic nature of humanity, which truly binds our heritage and world as one sacred human race of people. If alien ships were truly to be seen up close or even land among us, we would perhaps immediately awaken to the primal common denominator and essence of our human commonality down here on planet Earth. For me, this sets the stage, tone, and foundation for this song, for this sermon, which is about to begin. The power of your kiss, your words, your lips, your flesh, your bones, exactly what you need. Perhaps the main point of life is not to wage war or focus on and fight over our differences, but to celebrate the exalted life within these miraculous vessels and temples of our earthly human bodies. The primal power of passion within the human kiss, the slice of the sword of the spoken word, the succulent smile from which the nectar of language is voiced through, is this not enough to explode with gratitude and celebrate each and every day? We are here to bridge the gap between the proverbial Garden of Eden with the heavenly realms by means of our miraculously crafted bodies and minds, and perhaps even our DNA. And we are here to celebrate and descend into the light-hearted, though weighted joy of this knowing, that we truly are one divine humanity, as well as sacred siblings of creation, and for this we truly have everything. Why should I feel intrusion? Why be afraid of what we do not understand? To eliminate exclusion, cut out the differences, to feel like we belong. Drum beats louder. Drum beats louder. Whenever I hear these lyrics with the Eastern Scale, again, the only solo on the album, played by then-newcomer Jeff Coffin, I envision a place similar to the dank and misty prehistoric volcano world, found in Dave and co-author Cleet Barrett-Smith's If We Were Giants. Featuring a young, brave, tree-hut-dwelling girl Kira, stuck within the stuffy confines of her simple volcano-dwelling community, Kira brave to venture outside, and when she does, gets even busted by the maniacal, bullying, tyrannical giants who roamed this outside place 
of her simple and primitive volcano world. Though ultimately bringing great danger to her people by venturing outside, Kira keenly observed these frightening beasts most unlike her own. She scoped these beings from a higher vantage point, the heights of the trees which seemed to reach into the clouds. From here she learned how to outwit, outscheme, and outsmart the lesser evolved, dangerous giant beasts who roamed beyond the terrain of the volcano, teaching her courageous friends and family what she learned from these ignorant being creatures along the way. Overall, and specifically here, the lyrics and melody are the perfect background mood and music for this primitive world. I feel like I can see the landscape of Dave's mind in the visceral world of the volcano people, and to this I can relate, having lived on the Hawaiian island of Kauai on two separate occasions which totaled a little over three years, first when I was 29, and next when I was 41, right before my son Jude was born. Having dwelled in a number of locations on Kauai, as well as hiking the 11-mile hike in and out of the sacred yet sketchy Nepali Trail into the Kalalau Valley on four separate occasions, I became familiar enough with the dense primitive jungle and razor's edge vistas with their cliff-hanging, near-vertical sandy switchback passes. Once in the Kalalau Valley, however, the jagged journey always became worth it all, having shed blood, sweat, and real tears to reach a heavenly island realm of a different space, time, and definitely dimension. After spending a week in my favorite musty, damp cave buried deep in the Oceanside Woodland Grove, my personal witch forest, my cave home lined with toads who proved to be fine company, I felt a real life for like a I felt like a real life forest nymph, and it was hard to leave my little army of amphibians, even though I was breaking down my dwelling for an ocean cliffside open air room during epic double moonbow starry nights with crashing seas below to a few nights camping along the rough shoreline and changing tides of the pristine Kalalau Valley Beach. In all these places, I could hear and feel the distant crashes, cries, echoes, and memories of the ancient Menehune from ages past, embedded deep within the earth and in my soul. The gentle swoosh of the palm fronds, like lashes from Pele's eyelids, here I was one with the earth, and the drumbeat of the Divine Mother danced beneath my sleeping bag, which was close to the tiny fire ablaze next, right next to my grassy bed. Towards the epicenter of the almost circular-shaped island is the wettest spot on Earth, Mount Waiali Ali, a now extinct volcano which birthed this tiny garden island, the furthest island west in the chain of Hawaiian islands dotted liberally across the Pacific. Open up your head. Your sweet primitive, open up your mouth. It's coming out. Having sliced the skin under my big toe on a rock as I attempted to hike out without my water tavies, like shoe socks, which resembled, resembled frog feet, as well as a mild case of giardia from improperly filtered water, I was, during one of my four hikes in, helicoptered back out with a family with a very sick child. A very real lesson of Kalalau, like the unpredictable Hawaiian Ocean, with its deceptively changing moods and tides, measured in currents, is to take in only what you need. No filler, no superfluous weight, food, water, and only the essentials. I didn't necessarily learn this the hard way, 
but I did learn not to take in the non-essentials as hiking in with extra clothing or stuffed animals, makeup, or jewelry instead of food or extra water, which could prove catastrophic on the 22 combined miles of rough ocean and jungle Nepali trail terrain. One can only imagine the despair when my stuffed lion Julius fell out somewhere along the scenic trail, when maybe he decided to jump out of the strap, which held him, which I thought held him tightly tethered to my backpack. Out there, no food or drink. How many days do you think you'd last on your diamonds and your pearls? Upon returning to K.A. Beach on the North Shore and Hyanna, I discovered that all of my belongings, my tent, suitcase, and duffel bag with all my clothes were stolen from my unsuspecting Honda while I was in Kalalau. So I wearily spent the night with a good friend, Christian. Hailing from the Virgin Islands, Christian and his brother had created this cool, totally makeshift but really rad rainforest home in the trees on a large piece of acreage in the Hanalei Valley, and I was invited to crash there for the night. When we woke after a long, deep post-Kalalau sleep, he told me about this crazy dream he'd had where his mother was drawing a pencil sketch picture of this random red bird with a yellow belly, and after finishing the initial rendition, was coloring in the yellow belly she had drawn on the bird back into red almost frantically. It was a vivid, strange, and random dream which was impactful on Christian, though I didn't think too much about it at the time, except I thought it was cool and progressive for him to share this dream with me. A couple of hours later at the Hanalei coffee shop, I ran into an elder, local friend Vince, whose mother was considered the medicine woman of the Hanalei Valley. Vince was on his way to pay a visit to his kahuna, a man named Ed, who resided at the Heiau, or sacred temple site at the Praying Pregnant Goddess, or Kalalea Mountain Range near Anahola. His small, modest, forest-green, mid-sized, shock-like home was nestled at the base of the praying hands of the range. Interestingly and oddly, these praying hands also notably resembled a giant ape or monkey, namely the beastly King Kong. And fun fact, the 1976 Kong remake starring Jessica Lange was filmed partly in this location. Vince needed and requested a ride to Lihue, with a stop at Kahuna Eds on his way to a water rights meeting he was a chairperson of in the capital island city. When we reached Ed's, I dropped Vince off and waited outside in my little blue car outside the house, when Vince came right back out with a surprised smile and seemed pleased to announce that Kahuna Ed wanted to invite me in. I'm not a king, no, not a hero, not a fool. I'm not perfect. I'm flesh and bone, and I'm exactly what you need. Drum beats louder. Inside the door, a seemingly half-blind Kahuna Ed greeted me at the door in a full beastly look and manner. I was forewarned that Ed Kaivi was not only the high priest of this Heiau he was entitled and entrusted to, he was considered the guardian of the gates, and this Heiau was well known, as well as where all new spirit was considered to enter the island, while apparently spirit left the island on the west side of the island in Pulahali. Ed greeted me at the door. Right off the bat, besides the faded blue Oshkosh Bagash overalls that were unbuckled on one shoulder, 
head literally resembled the monkey-shaped mountain peak he lived at the base of, and though his beastly eyes and stagger, was it a war wound, should have made me turn and run, I felt immediate connection and immense love for this man right off the bat. What first caught my eye after meeting wild-eyed Ed at the door struck me way more aghast with surprise. A local native man introduced to me as Ed's friend Liko was sitting down at the table, fixated on completing the spirit eye of the solid red-colored little bird. He was pencil sketching and apparently finishing that very moment as he was adding the final sparkle of spirit which emanated out of the black eyes and I swear seemed to be peering right into my very own eyes. Astonished, I recalled the account shared with me that very morning by my friend Christian. Seeing this rendition of the same bird described to me just that morning literally startled me more than the monkey man and the Oshkosh bagashes who peered into my soul at the front door. I shared the story to all three men, and they all acknowledged that, in fact, this was some, this was most certainly some sign of something seemingly spiritually significant. Feeling a surge of my own inner energy and spirit, Kahuna Ed, who I soon learned was a great storyteller, began describing an old shoulder injury from chucking some old howley or local off a cliff. I mean, seriously, these island people are warriors. Harnessing from within some old shiatsu skills acquired as a student at Southwest Acupuncture in Santa Fe from my favorite Japanese-style Kodatama-trained teacher, Dr. Jeff Meyer, I asked if I could apply these skill sets to his strained shoulder, to which he surprisingly obliged. For about a half hour, I worked relentlessly on this beast bro's shoulder, and like some strange metamorphic feat, Ed started pumping his shoulder like he was ready to toss some next unwilling participant off a cliff. Seemingly without a moment to spare, Ed then invited me outside to take a tour of the sacred Anahola Heiau at a deep ominous opening in the dense forest right beside his home and invited me in with him to which I responded something like, hell yes. On our way into the Heiau, Ed picked up and handed me a giant stick which he instructed me to carry just in case we encountered any wild boar which roamed freely on the lush garden island and apparently also on his land. There was no time for fear as we trudged, trudged through the opening of the strange green, thick, grassy, tree-lined forest as Ed led me into the darkness of the sacred and trusted Hawaiian land. Immediately, not too far from us, I noticed a wooden structure, an owl shack, as Ed immediately called it when I pointed it out, and he guided me towards the stairs of this small, unpainted tree hut structure. Inside the shack were only two things, a simple stool, which Ed pointed to and invited me to sit down upon as we entered the room, as well as a beautiful pair of owl wings, which were upright on a small, simple, sconced shelf on the wall. As I sat down, Ed quickly retrieved and handed me the pair of wings, one he described as being from a female, and the other from a male bird. Ed relayed to me that his mother had come to me in a dream the very night before and shared with him of my impending arrival. In Ed's dream, his mother instructed him to give me these wings and to share with me the understanding that they had been waiting to be returned back to me. 
He then informed me that his mother said I was to have access to all of the herbal plants and medicines in the sacred heiau. Ed revealed that nearly every medicinal Hawaiian herb would be found in this heiau, and that as long as that I did not ever enter the temple during my sacred moon river time, as he would apparently be attacked by bees for some reason, I was allowed and welcomed into the sacred site at any time. Open up your head. Open up, you primitive. Open up your mouth. Open up your head, your sweet primitive. Open up your mouth, it's coming out. Open up your head, scream, you sweet primitive. Tell me what you said. Back in the owl shack, after Ed shared to me about the dream of his deceased mother who returned to tell him that I would be visiting him, she apparently also suggested that he share the wisdom of the aboriginal, apparently a wisdom he was privy to because he started speaking at times in some sort of native tongue, definitely not English, and somehow I recognized something familiar about the tribal language which he was speaking to me and the otherworldly message of humanity's star origins he spoke of. It was like a strange remembrance of sorts, reminiscent to certain cosmic Native American origin stories. On Ed's back was this gridwork of strange yet compelling, circular tattoos on each shoulder and hip, which connected at various vortices in between. He shared with me starseed stories of origin and poetic phrases in alternate tongues, and through transfixed senses, I knew I was somehow soul-connected through space-time and lineage to these strange island people. The power of your kiss, your words, your lips, not a gun to your head, you've got to die before you're dead. In life I have learned thus far, at least a few ways, grasp the nectar of eternity and life's true meaning. Typically, one way is to find and relax into a certain still point of neutrality, like the space between gears and worlds, the veil between life and afterlife, reality and its parallel. In time, yet simultaneously outside of time, perhaps this is equivalent to what is known as ego dissolution, where we give up conscious control of free will into a surrender leap into divine will. With this leap, we are able to spread our wings organically and open up to the realms of the imaginal, invisible, visceral, and spiritual, alchemizing re reason with intuition, masculine with feminine, emotion with intellect, civilized with primitive, and in between these spaces we find freedom, the freedom of joy with an open mind and unconditional heart. This is where life reveals an earthly holy trinity, a true alchemizing of mind, body, and spirit. Not sad when you're gone, but when the light's still on. Your dreams won't let you fly. Don't be dead before you die. Hunger till fed. Give love instead. When it gets inside, watch the dead men squirm. Until we learn how to surrender into the light, our limited and controlling ego-mindedness will not allow our dreams to bear full fruit. If we followed a fractured or artificial instead of an organic light, our souls will starve and suffer. When we drop our fear of change into the, into the unknown of these uncomfortable places in between worlds and instead open up to divine grace and offer only unconditional unified love, this is the love that will heal the world 
and ultimately bring the savages and tyrants to their knees. Above all things, if kindness is your king, then heaven will be yours before you reach your end. It is safe to be said that these final four lyrics say it all. And with that said, I want to say thank you, Dave, and to everybody, thank you for listening, and bye for now. We want to give a special thanks to our guests and co-contributors for this episode of the podcast. Without your valuable contributions, we wouldn't be able to continue. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into the music of DMB and the community that supports them. You can find us on all social media platforms by searching DMB On Demand. Visit us on dmbondemand.com for DMB-related merch and to learn more about DMB On Demand. Until next time, don't burn the day away.